Hello, First Baptist Church of Keller family, and welcome to our Systematic Theology class. For the past several weeks, we have been studying together Trinitarian theology. We've looked individually at the role of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And let me just say that there's much, much more that could be said about all three of the members of the Trinity, but this is an introduction or a survey-type class, and so we need to make progress and move on. And so today we're going to move to the doctrine of man. Uh, the doctrine of man is called in theological terms anthropology. comes from a Greek word anthropos, meaning human or man. Um, and so there's a number of things that we want to say about man. Uh, probably the greatest thing we can say about man, he's made in the image of God. Of course, that's not owing to man. That's owing to God's sovereignty. Of course, we find that in places like Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, uh, James chapter 3, verse 9. And so man is made in the image and likeness of God. Theologians call this the Imago Dei. A more difficult thing to do than say image of God is to define what does it mean to be made in the image of God. There are many theories on this, and many have offered their suggestions. Um, I, I think there's truth in all of these. Um, for one, man is, is a rational being. He has an ability of thought and, and capacity of creativity that exceeds um, any other of God's creation. I think primarily it has to do with his nature, the fact that he has both a soul as well as a body, and therefore he is capable of communion with God. God made man with the ability to communicate with him um, that he, he doesn't have with any of his other creatures. Um, also, he has made man to have dominion over the other creatures, and God has made, in a sense, man a vice-regent with him, and we see that based on verses 26 and 28 there in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, he is to rule and exercise authority as, as God does and in a similar way that God does over his creation. Now, when we talk about man and humanity, of course, as we said last week, we're including both sexes. Uh, we would never say that uh, men and women um, are unequal in the eyes of God. And, and yet, uh, as we'll see when we get to our lesson on uh, ecclesiology, there are different roles for men and women, and uh, we hold to a complementarian role here. We'll talk about that more in days to come. But for the time being, when I use the term man, I'm including all of humanity. Um, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, uh, we find something said of man that, that God says earlier of his other days of creation, uh, that it is good. God created man in his image, and he says, uh, it's good. And what does it mean that, that man is good in that God created him exactly as he wanted him to, um, both with a body and a spirit? Uh, he gave to Adam a helpmate, Eve, and he says, therefore, marriage is good. And, and then the environment in which he created for them to live in was good, the Garden of Eden. It was a perfect environment for them. And it was a loss, of course, because of their violation of God's prohibition for them not to eat of the fruit that was in the midst of the garden. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 5 through 7 indicates that, that God made man from the dirt. And then, of course, uh, Eve was made from the side of Adam. 
And so if you want to remain humble, remember that you come from dirt. Uh, But man is much more than a physical body. Uh, He is a physical body, but more importantly, he also uh, has a soul. And we see that in places like Matthew chapter 10 um, and a number of other places in the Scripture. Um, So I think there's about three positive statements. And remember, in each of these lectures, we try to establish three or four pegs that we can hang our hat on in each of these areas of of theology. And so in the area of anthropology, let's let's give three. Number one, um, men and women are made in the image of God and therefore have dignity, value, and worth. I often say from the pulpit here that we're a pro-life church, and that's not a political statement. It is a moral and a biblical statement, Um, and it's taken from that concept of, of the Imago Dei. What we're saying in that is that man is more valuable than um, a dog. He's more valuable than even an elephant or a whale. And by the way, that, would, that statement is considered heretical by many people in the world. They would view man as just one of um, thousands of species of animals, no more valuable than any other. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that man is God's highest creation and was given dominion over all of the other creatures. And therefore, um, man is more valuable, has more dignity and more worth than any of the other creatures. Uh, Second thing I would say is that men and women, as I said earlier, are are equal but different. Now, up until probably 30 or 40 years ago, that statement would not be controversial at all. But we live in a culture today in which there would be great pushback from a simple statement like men and women are equal but different. But that's what the Bible teaches. And then most importantly, as we think about the doctrine of man, is that God's original creation design is good. It's good. He created man just as he intended him to be to have fellowship with him. But of course, it didn't last, did it? Uh, So let's move uh, to talk about the doctrine of the fall, F-A-L-L. We're not talking about the season of the year. Uh, We're talking about how sin entered the world and messed up that relationship that God originally had with his highest creation. And so there's a a couple of vocabulary words on your outline today that uh, you'll want to look at now. The first is the concept of original sin. Now, this is a concept that's often misunderstood. A lot of people think when they hear the term original sin, we're simply talking about the first sin of of Adam and Eve taking of that fruit that they were prohibited from eating. That's not the case. When we talk about original sin, we're really talking about the consequences of that first sin. Uh, That is the fact that all people are born into a state and a condition of sinfulness Um, that had its origin with our first parents. Um, Theologically, it consists of the loss of original righteousness and the fact that that image that God made us in has in some way been distorted and marred because of sin's entrance into the world. Now, related to the concept of original sin is is what I mentioned earlier, the, the fall. And we're talking about the fall of humanity in in the Garden of of Eden. Now we are talking about that first sin that our parents, the act of Adam and Eve 
that we see in, in Genesis 3, disobeying God and losing their um, relationship that he created them to have with him. Uh, now, there's a very important text that I want us to uh, look at now, and those are listed on your outline as well. And Tyler's going to read now Genesis uh, from Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. As we look at that, we, we see that once man sinned, he, he hid from God, which is a silly thing to do because as we've studied about God's nature, he is omnipresent. There's nowhere that we could hide from God, as David would later write in the Psalms, if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. Uh, and yet it uh, did not stop our first parents from hiding from God, according to verse 8 of chapter 3 of Genesis. Uh, and, and the consequences of the fall, uh, we sometimes call the curse. And uh, part of that curse, as we see in verse 16, is there would be pain of childbearing for the woman. And for the man, verse 17, uh, that he would have to uh, make his living through painful and toilsome work. Now, let me make a point here. Work as a concept is not part of the curse. There was work for Adam and Eve to do before the fall. There is dignity and value in working. But the kind of work we have to do and the, and the, the pain and toil that comes from just making a living for most people in the world is a result of, of sin entering the world. And the next text is Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 12. So Tyler, would you read that now? Genesis 6, 5 through 12. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things, and the birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And so now we're, we're moving into uh, the time of, of Noah. And we know that, that after the fall, Adam and Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden. They began to procreate. Uh, the earth became uh, full of, of people. And the scripture describes that society as utterly and totally corrupt. And of course, God decided to... Uh, destroy mankind with the exception of Noah, his three sons, and, and their wives, and, and Noah's wife. Um, and um, th this shows us right away that the nature of man is not good. Um, it's not even morally neutral. Uh, when we visit with our guest here uh, in a few minutes, that's one of the questions I plan to ask him. Is, is man born good, uh, evil, or, or somewhere in between? Uh, so listen very carefully to his answer, please. Psalm 51.5 gives us a clue, and Tyler's going to read that now. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, 
and in sin did my mother conceive me. So the psalmist says we were not born good or, or even neutral. We are born, indeed, the Bible says, conceived in sin. And what that means uh, in practical terms is that we, are, uh, we sin because we're sinners. Sometimes we, we say, well, I sin and therefore I'm a sinner. No, you are a sinner. I am a sinner. That is our nature. We're born into the world conceived in sin and therefore we sin. Uh, Jeremiah 17.9 really gets at the heart of, of how bad the problem is. Tyler. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so those people who have a sort of a Pollyannish notion of human nature, um, the Bible does not. It, it offers a complete and, and really a terrifying diagnosis of the human condition, which is very, very important because until we understand the condition of our heart, we will not understand how important our salvation is. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uh, points out exactly uh, the level of the problem in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. Tyler, would you read that? Romans 3, 10 through 18. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes. So we see then that there's not one person ever born other than Jesus Christ who is righteous. And because he is perfectly righteous, we need his righteousness. We call that imputation. And uh, we need to have that great exchange wherein he takes on our sin at the cross and he gives us his righteousness appropriated by faith. So now I want to move into uh, the discussion of the doctrine of sin. The doctrine of man, the doctrine of sin, sometimes are, are viewed as the same thing because man's primary distinctive is that he's a sinner. But technically, the doctrine of sin is called homardiology, and that, again, is from another Greek word, harmatia. Um, so, so one question we need to look at then is what is sin? If sin is such a problem, how will we define sin? Well, 1 John 3, 4 says sin is lawlessness. That is, it's a failure to conform to the moral law of God. And Grudem says that's not just in action. It's also in attitude and, and nature. Uh, Jesus, of course, taught that it was not just the action that is considered sinful. Famously, he says, if a man looks upon a woman with lust in his heart, he has committed adultery. And so we see that uh, in his omniscience and his omnipresence that God even knows our sinful thoughts and holds us accountable for those. But when we talk about sin, we generally put all sin into two broad categories. Uh, those are sins of commission and sins of omission. And um, that's easy to understand. Uh, when we do something that we are told not to, 
that is a sin of commission. So when God says in Exodus 20, thou shalt not lie, and we lie, we have committed a sin against God. On the other hand, when we know we should do something and we fail to do it, that's also a sin. James chapter 4, verse 17 points that out very clearly. Uh, and those are sins of omission. We omitted doing something that that we should have. And so uh, there are almost an infinite number and varieties of sins, but two broad categories of sins, sins of commission and, and sins of omission. But what really we need to concentrate on today is, is how sin affects humanity. John chapter 8, verse 34, along with Romans 6, 6 and other places, says that sin enslaves us. Um, oftentimes, uh, people will sin in the name of freedom. That is, I am free. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm not going to obey God. I'm not going to submit to God. But in truth, that sin ultimately enslaves them. Uh, Psalm 51, 2 says it defiles us. That's why David pleaded with the Lord to cleanse him with hyssop, wash him thoroughly, because he realized that in the eyes of a holy and a pristine God, he was dirty. Hebrews 3.13 tells us that sin deceives us. Um, it offers um, pleasure that is fleeting. And I've often said to, to parents who are concerned about their children sinning and getting involved in things that could ruin their lives, that we don't need to be dishonest with our children. They're, they're more sophisticated than that. And if we try to tell children that premarital sex is not pleasurable or taking drugs or drinking alcohol doesn't have a temporary pleasure to it, uh, they're going to see right through that. So we need to be honest and tell them what the Bible tells them, that sin has a pleasure for a season. But then comes the consequences. And so... Uh, places like Hebrews 11.25, we see that. Hebrews 12.1 says, sin clings to us. That is, it, it has implication and consequence uh, throughout our lifetime. Now, that really sets up upon a T, the gospel. We have to understand our problem, that, that sin not only has consequences in life, it has consequences for eternity, and as I said in, in my sermon last Sunday, there is a, a resurrection. There's a, the first resurrection for the righteous dead, that those who are going to spend eternity with God. But there's also the second resurrection at the great white throne in which God is going to judge us based upon our deeds. And all those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life are going to be cast into the lake of fire. And so um, we have a sin problem. And so God in his sovereignty and in his mercy and his goodness did something about it. Isaiah 53, 12, 1 Peter 2, 24 says he bore our sins. That is, he took our sins upon himself at the cross. The just, that is Christ, the only just and righteous one, died in the place of the unjust, which is, is sinners, of course. And so how do we appropriate that cleansing? How, how do we get in on that forgiveness and, and that imputation of Christ's righteousness? Well, through faith and repentance. Uh, Luke 5.32, Acts 3.19, as we've seen in the past, uh, repent and be saved. Um, 
confess our sins. First John 1 John 1.9 says we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the Bible says he keeps on cleansing us. This is the, the power of the blood of Christ. And so um, this is the gospel. And so you, you see as we talk about the doctrine of man and the doctrine of sin that they are um, intertwined inextricably and theology then is not just some ivory tower uh, endeavor. What, what theology is about is to get to the gospel so that we can understand who God is and his nature, which is holy and pure and righteous. We talk about the nature of man is that he's a sinner. He is born a sinner and he sins constantly. And his relationship with his creator is broken because of that sin and that God has made a way through the substitutionary death of his dear son that man can be restored to that original relationship with his creator. And when we get to the lesson on eschatology, the study of last things, we're going to see that in the end, God is going to restore our environment back to that original state in which he proclaimed in the book of Genesis was good. And so I think we'll stop right there and welcome our guest today. Well, our guest today is Dr. Kevin Waldrop. Dr. Waldrop is the pastor of the Village Baptist Church in San Lorenzo, California. He has been a guest teacher here at First Baptist Keller a number of times in the past 10 years or so. And Brother Kevin, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Pastor Keith. It is a joy to be with you, and I'm honored to, to be a part. I know that our people will be interested in knowing how you, your wife Janet, and your five daughters are doing during the COVID-19 lockdown. We, uh, we are doing well. Uh, we... Um, uh, obviously, have one of the benefits of spending even more time together. Uh, but we've been been doing well. Been uh, we haven't had any sickness, uh, not only in our own family, but uh, in our church family that's related to the the virus. Um, we've been on you know pretty strict um, shelter in place orders here in California. But we have uh, we've done well, and, and the Lord is blessing in and through it all. Dr. Waldrop, I know you've been in the San Francisco Bay Area for about 13 years now, but you've recently accepted a new position, which will start in August of this year. Can you tell us a little bit about what that position is and what you'll be doing there? Yeah, we're, uh, we're excited about uh, this opportunity. Uh, the Lord has opened a door for me uh, to, uh, to start at the University of the Southwest as the program chair and assistant professor in Christian Studies beginning in August. And so uh, after 13-plus years as the pastor here at Village Baptist Church, we'll be moving uh, to Hobbs, New Mexico this summer, uh, where I'll, we'll begin there uh, again in August. And, and I'm looking forward to the opportunity that, uh, that God has given us there uh, to be able to teach the Bible, uh, not only at the college, but the college also sponsors a prison program. And so I'll be able to go into the, the prison and and teach uh, theological classes there to those uh, who are incarcerated as well. Well, congratulations on the new position. We'll certainly be praying for you and your move. Our subject today in our systematic theology class is anthropology. We've been studying up until this point in the class Trinitarian theology, but today we've moved to the study of man, mankind, anthropology. You were a public school teacher, as I was, in uh, Mississippi, uh, we are both married and parents, and both of us have done some prison ministry, you much more than me. 
So I think you're an excellent person to talk to as it concerns human nature and what man is like. Probably the question we pastors get more than any other about the nature of man is this, and I'll ask you this. As we talk about humanity, is man born good, evil, or somewhere in between? Obviously, we would go to the scriptures to find our answer, and when you study the scriptures uh, and it, how it speaks of natural man, uh, it certainly is not a glaring review, uh, but it indicates very clearly that we are uh, born um, uh, in sin, and we are born with the sin nature. We are not good, uh, and we, we, we understand goodness as defined by God. We know our world wants to uh, define good and what good is, and and optimistically tries to see the good in each person. But the scriptural testimony is very clear that when we are born, we are sinners by nature due to the fall of Adam in the garden, and therefore we are by nature separated from God and at enmity with God, and each and every person in need of salvation to be reconciled to God. And so there's really no neutrality and there's certainly no goodness, as God would define it. Uh, We are born uh, sinners uh, and in need of a Savior. Now, you and I know hold to a doctrine known as total depravity. Can you um, explain to us and define total depravity and tell us what it is and what it is not? Well, sometimes people are a little confused with the understanding of total depravity because they think it means that we are uh, as bad as sinners as we can be. And when we compare ourselves to someone else, we clearly see, at least in our own eyes, well, we're not that bad. But total depravity does not speak to uh, our being as bad as we can be. It simply speaks more to the fact that we are corrupt. Every aspect of our being, the physical, uh, spiritual, uh, we are uh, corrupt. We are sinners, and uh, we have no ability in and of ourselves to please God or to be reconciled to God. Um, And and again, that that doesn't mean that every person will manifest a sinfulness in the same way, uh, in the sense of the consequences or the public nature of it. Uh, God himself has provided graces that prevent us from being as bad as we could be. For instance, government has been in place, put in place by God to promote good and deter evil. Uh, and certainly Romans 13, we, we read that there. Uh, also, there's, there's a sense in which the law has been written on our hearts, as Paul teaches in Romans 2, such that there is in us an understanding that some things are wrong, Um, And so these graces that God has provided certainly are for the purpose of promoting good and deterring evil, so that some will seem to manifest a sinfulness greater than others um, at at one level. Uh, But all of us are totally depraved in the sense that we cannot, of ourselves, please God or be reconciled to him or do anything that would put us in his favor in a saving way. And one of the concepts related to total depravity that we covered in class today is original sin. And like total depravity, I think there's a lot of confusion about what original sin is and what it's not. 
What is your understanding of original sin, and how do you teach it as a concept? Well, again, we you know we read in Scripture that in Adam um, all have sinned, and there's a variety of ways that through the years and through the ages that people have interpreted that. Um, but when when we look at Paul's comparison of Adam and Jesus in Romans five, and again some in First Corinthians fifteen, there clearly seems to be a a connection there. Uh, such that what Adam did in in the fall in the garden um, has led all of humanity into sin. And and the connection and and how that happens has been the the topic of much debate. But what what seems to be clear from the scriptural standpoint, or, or what it seems to point to very clearly, is that in a similar way that Christ was our substitute, meaning he actually stood in our place, we who are in Christ, uh, and have placed our faith in him as our representative. In other words, he, he took upon himself the punishment we deserve, and even prior to that, his, his life of perfect righteousness was lived in a way that that, that righteousness then is imputed to us. And in a similar way to that, Adam, as the representative of mankind, when he sinned in the garden, um, he, he did so in a way as that he was standing in our place as our substitute in, in the sense that um, legally and, and judicially, um, Adam and all of his offspring then are, are sinners as a result of his sin. And so he is our representative, oftentimes you'll hear it referred to as our federal head or the federal headship of Adam. But he, he, he stood as man, as representing mankind in the fall. Uh, and so we cannot, in our uh, what we may uh, manifest some sort of pride or arrogance today, say that, well, we would not have done what Adam did because he truly represented mankind in, in every way in his rebellion against God. And so as a result, then, uh, all of his descendants and, and we who have been born since then, all, are born with that sin nature as sinners because of the original sin um, where he stood in our place as our substitute um, uh, and, and did what any person would have done, um, showing how indeed sinful all of man is. Well, Dr. Waldrop, you uh, wear a number of hats. You're a father, a husband, a pastor. You teach. You do prison ministry. How do you see original sin and total depravity played out First of all, in your own family with your five daughters, um, with the kids you taught in public school or, or you coached, and certainly at the prison ministry level. How does that inform the way you interact with these different groups? Yeah, well, uh, just starting with uh, my girls having five daughters, um, you, you can see that I have seen this uh, you know, clearly uh, as they have grown up and gotten older, uh, but Total depravity, and, and again, when you study the fall there in Genesis, um, you also see there that a result of that is a, a kind of a, a blame game, if you will. Uh, when when God approached Adam, God uh, Adam rather ultimately blamed God when he said, "It's the woman that you gave me uh, that uh, the result here." And certainly, you see that um, uh, in in our home. Um, I don't think I've ever. Uh, dealt with an issue that was happening between two of my girls 
where something uh, happened, where one did something to the other. When I asked the question, why did you do that to her? The answer did not start with, she did this. Uh, I don't ever hear the answer of, well, to be honest with you, I'm, uh, I'm just a sinner and I sinned and I shouldn't have done it. There, there's always a natural response of self-justification, of, of blaming others, of, of wanting to be the one who assesses the rightness and wrongness of our own actions. Um, and, and certainly that is an indication and an evidence of what we, we think of with total depravity. Um, and, you know, that extends to uh, having taught in school and, and, and seeing kids, and this would be true of, of prisons as well, who have come from a variety of backgrounds, some who come from, from broken homes, some who come who have never had any real parental direction at all, others who have grown up in what we would assess or call a, a solid situation, uh, both father and mother are present, loving, caring, providing, and yet there is a consistency um, in the sense of a sin and of, of, of self-satisfaction um, and pride and, 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 and blaming others and, and not naturally seeing, uh, seeing oneself as a sinner uh, and who is in wrong, uh, but, but actually trying to justify what is, what is right. Um, and so never in those scenarios have I ever run across and, and would not, uh, as the Bible makes clear, a person who naturally uh, desires to um, honor the Lord and, and, and just follow his ways, feeling the weightiness of their own sin, not, not naturally. Naturally, it's always a justification of our behavior and our actions, and that is true with, with all persons at some level uh, that I've ever had any contact with, which, again, is just evidence of what the Bible teaches and that, that we are totally depraved uh, in our sin. Well, Dr. Waldrop, I expect a person who's not a Christian, um, who has a picture of humanity that's a little more rosy, would hear our conversation today, and it would be pretty depressing to them. You've established that mankind is altogether unable and unwilling to do right and submit to his creator, but there is good news, isn't there? So I want us to close today with this. Um, this really isn't the lesson on salvation, but we're going to skip ahead a little bit because I think it's so important. Given what we know about humanity, which is all bad, what is the solution for man's fundamental problem? Well, the only solution um, is salvation in Jesus Christ. Um, and Paul, of course, assessing natural man in Ephesians 2, says that we were dead in our trespasses, but we have been made alive uh, through Jesus Christ. And so whereas we are all universally, when we talk of mankind, sinners and have failed and have violated God's law, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life of righteousness, fulfilling every aspect of the law where we have failed, and then he took upon himself, when he went to the cross, uh, the punishment uh, for those who have placed their faith in him, the punishment for their sin. And that is the only hope. Um, there are, uh, unfortunately, and it's a tragedy, many people who are uh, confident in their own goodness and morality. Uh, but the problem is um, uh, sin and total depravity uh, go much deeper than what the manifest actions are. And so we are 
corrupt on the inside, and the only solution for that is our full faith and commitment and trust in Jesus Christ, his perfect life of righteousness and his atoning work on our behalf uh, through his death, burial, and resurrection. Well, thank you, Dr. Waldrop. Amen to all of that. Um, we like to close our class every week with a word of prayer. Is there some specific request that you and your family have today? Well, I would simply say this. We are uh, about to relocate, and so we're going to be moving to Hobbs. And so prayers for housing and uh, a smooth transition, uh, and then uh, that the Lord would be honored and glorified through it all, uh, including the new position that he has opened the door for me. Amen. Well, we'll be glad to pray for that. Uh, congratulations again on your te- new teaching position. We pray all goes well. Let's close today with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the things that we have learned today from your word and been reminded of. Father, we know that you are holy and righteous and good, and as human beings, we're not. We are born with a sin nature. We inherit sin's curse, and yet, Lord, you have made a way that we could be made right with you, and that is faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his substitutionary atonement, thankful for your promise of scriptures that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we're thankful, Father, for the promise of uh, 1 John that says that when we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And really what it says there is you keep on cleansing us. And so, Father, that is our only hope. We rest and trust in you. We thank you for our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.